Welcome to episode 130 of the Jackson Hole Connection, recording in beautiful Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Support for this episode comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, which is reminding you to reduce, reuse, recycle, and compost. Avoid single-use products whenever possible, and remember to bring your reusable bags with you while shopping. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephan Clark Abrams, your host. Before I begin this week's episode, I wanna send out a huge thank you to all of my regular listeners and welcome all of the new listeners out there. Please share this podcast with someone you know and to make a little bright spot in their day. My mission is to bring you fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. The people sharing their stories are the same people we see each day, walking down the street or sitting in their favorite shop, drinking a good cup of coffee and talking to some friends. I feel we all have a story to share and I wanna bring you stories which you will connect with and add good energy to your day. Sharing stories allows us all to learn and grow so we may all live full lives. And P.S., while you're on your way to the Recycling Center, drop on by to Jackson Hole Marketplace and grab one of those badass sandos or a delicious cup of Snake River Roasting Coffee. My guest today is Pontier Sachary, a 30-year resident who knows firsthand the meaning and value of a strong community. The place Pontier calls home, that's right, Jackson Hole, is the place she decided to raise her children and build a community family, which has fostered lifelong relationships. To help maintain a vibrant community, Pontier has taken on different roles and given her time to a wide range of organizations. Community leaders and community members, just like Pontier, are what make this community right here in Jackson, Wyoming, and communities all around the world, wherever you're listening from, special places for each of us to connect with and call home. Pontier, thank you for joining me at the Jackson Hole Connection today. I appreciate your time. I am so glad to see you. And of course, it's via Zoom, but in this case, I think appropriately so, because there's a recording device, and I'm delighted to be here. So thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. And Pontier, it's very wonderful to see you as well. I was reflecting back the first time that we met each other, and I, I think it was when you were head of the chamber. You were in, heavily involved in the chamber at one point here in the Valley, and I was on the board. Yes, I think that's when our paths originally crossed. Mm -hmm. I was on the chamber board for over 10 years. And gosh, I met so many great people that I'm such good friends with today. There's something that's really unique about sitting on the board with people. You know, you go to these meetings and you transact, you know, you're governors of an organization that serves a purpose. And that's all what's happening sort of on the surface. But underneath, it's like, well, you get married or you have kids or you built a home. And you talk about contractors and where's a good place to eat. And there's this whole undercurrent of familiarity. And so I have really enjoyed all of my board service during my career for the two, those two reasons, furthering an organization in the ways that I'm able to, and then getting to know these great people. So, you know, you're one of them. Well, thank you. <laughs> and, and likewise, let's start off with how you landed here in Jackson Hole and your, your connection here. My favorite story. This is what I ask <laughs> <Perfect>. people <laughs> all the time. 
you know, because it's always it's something unique. You know, it's like uh, my girlfriend worked at Signal Mountain Lodge or um, I got out of college and I wanted to escape the heat. You know, it's just and they're from, you know, South Carolina. So my my little story, what's funny about my story is I've been here now 30 years. I came in October, October 29th, 1990, right before the Gulf War broke out. And I just gotten out of business school and I had no money. And so to even afford my trip across the country in my four-door Hyundai, I moved in with my grandparents in upstate New York and I tempted. And I tempted two different universities because they lived in a university town. And um, I saved up my money and my pennies and you know, drove myself across the, the country. And so why I did that is because I put myself through college and I went to four colleges before I graduated. So I, you know, I, I did a semester and no, oh, that's not quite right. And I did a semester somewhere else. And that wasn't quite right. And I finally, finally found traction at Bentley College, which is now called Bentley University in Boston. And I got a degree in finance, which I really enjoyed studying. It was super challenging for me because I'm, I was really afraid of math. There's a lot of math and finance. So I got a tutor and I kind of worked my way through college and it was really challenging and rewarding. But when I got out and did it for my job, I was in corporate finance and I basically watched budgets go up and down and did forecasts. I didn't like it at all. So I went to business school and my whole goal was to redirect. So when I was in business school, I got an internship at a ski area. And what was funny about this internship was I kind of had two options for this internship. One was to work at this really prestigious money management firm in Boston that only hired business school uh, students who went to Ivy League business schools. And I was not at an Ivy League business school, but someone who was there was where I went to school. I went to Simmons College and she somehow made her way through there and had done well. So of course I called her up and took her to lunch and did all those things that you do. And I managed to get an offer for this really great internship that would have paid a lot of money. But here is the thing, I was 28. And I was finally starting to get a clue that maybe what seemed logical and you know, business-based is not really what's going to serve me well. So at the meantime, I was at going to Wachusett Mountain Ski Area, which was outside of Boston. I'd go there every Friday. I'd get out of accounting and I need to clear my mind and I'd drive an hour and I'd ski. And you know, I'd often be the only, one day it was raining. I was the only person there. I said hi to the lifties. I loved it. I loved the fresh air, the rain, anything. I was clearly not wanting to be in Boston anymore. So one day I'm riding up the chairlift and I think, wow, wouldn't it be interesting to know about this business? Like how do ski areas work? So I'm bedraggled, you know, I've been skiing. I do think it was raining that day. I went to the business offices of the ski area. And this is like the size of Snow King. So it's not these palatial, you know, you can find the business office. And I said to the person who answered the door, I'd love to, you know, learn about this business. So the guy comes downstairs, he's the CFO. He happened to go to Bentley College, which is where I went. And he said, send me your resume. And like 24 hours later, I have this offer. So I had worked so hard for the money management firm, which I wasn't excited about. And I, and I was really excited about the ski area and it, the doors just flew open. So I did this internship, it was unpaid, but I loved every minute of it. And they said, if you like this business, you need to move West. So I started looking west and I looked at all the ski areas out here. I'd never been anywhere except San Francisco. So me west was San Francisco and like Torrance, California, where I had relatives. Like my father did this work. He had a work thing at Stanford one summer. So we like lived in Menlo Park. And all I remember is it never rained. 
like in Menlo Park, and they have those like sunken living rooms, which I had never seen being from New England. So I'd never been in the Rockies. I didn't know anything about them. All I knew is somehow I was being drawn to ski areas. So I, I called people in Mammoth and Sun Valley and Vail and whatever. And so it just so happened that Jim Sullivan, who ran Snow King Resort at the time, actually called me back. And he talked to me and he said, well, this is what it's like in Jackson Hole. And maybe if you come out here to Jackson Hole, you can get involved because they were about to build what is now known as the ice rink. But they hadn't mm -hmm. built it yet. They hadn't built that whole convention center. And he said, you, with your business skills and whatever, maybe you can get involved in this project. So on that alone, and a wing hope and a prayer is when I tempt at those universities, stuffed everything I had in my four-door Hyundai, drove across the country, and started my first job at Snow King Resort. And that's literally how I got to Jackson Hole. It was a complete grace of Jim Sullivan. I could have ended up anywhere in the Rockies or California or anywhere. It just so happened that I landed here. And like everyone I know, I thought I'll be there a year or two. You know how that is. And then here I am. So that's my story. And that's why I like hearing about other people's stories because I think it's something that pulls on our heartstrings that encourages us to come here, especially for those of us who have no family background, no family history. It's just this curiosity. It's like that thread that you pull and then it, it turns into this whole thing. To me, that's Jackson Hole. It was following that little breadcrumb, that little thread of truth. And then just this whole life has transpired. I, I love it. Thank you for, for sharing and, and being so thorough with, with your story. And I'm glad you turned down that um, internship at that, at that company in, in the Boston area. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny, as you know, I'm a fundraiser. And I often think that if I'd taken that job, fundraisers would probably be calling me up. It, 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 the roles would be reversed, but it doesn't mean a richer life. And I have no regrets whatsoever, but I sometimes think about that. And so what do you think for 30 years has kept you in this place? Because there's there are a lot of people that move here. And and then, like you said, two years, but maybe even 10 years, they, they move on. What, what's kept you here for 30 years? Wow. Well, you know, I'll say the, the most overused term other than unprecedented and pivoted this year. It's our community. It mm -hmm. is an incredible community. But, you know, I mean, once you get entrenched in any place where one lives, you know, I got married, we built a house, we had children, they were in the school system. Then, you you know, I think that's one reason that I've stayed so long is this is where my family, I've raised my children and um, I've made such lifelong friends. And this was really proven to me as well. A few years ago, I guess it was four, I was skiing on the mountain and I broke my leg. I did a, that classic slow twisting fall and, and I broke the front part of my tibia. And as I'm going down the mountain in that kitty, um, which is one of the most terrifying things I've ever been through. And then I'm you know, pulled into the, what they call the bat cave, which is that like clinic that they pull you into on the sled. And there's like this fake bat hanging from the, the ceiling. And that's one of the things I love about ski areas. They have all this kind of local lore and strange words they use. So I'm pulled into the bat cave. And at the time I had gone through a divorce maybe five years earlier. And I was a single person at that time, single. I had no partner and I had two daughters who didn't drive. And I remember what was going through my mind was, this is, I don't know how to do this. I have no idea how I'm going to manage. So it just beginning at that moment, this community, these people that I've known all these years, they just swooped in to help. Friend drove me to the orthopedic office and 
Then, you know, friends swooped in to help that I belonged to the Presbyterian Church of Jackson Hole. The deacons took me to appointments, plowed my driveway, shopped for me. That's the that's when I learned that you need to shop three times a week if you have children. You don't get it done in one shop. You get it done in three shops. Um, walked my dog, uh, took my one of my daughters to a middle school dance. Another one needed braces. I mean, just the world just went right in and said, you know, that's what I love about Jackson Hall. And I didn't feel alone. I wasn't lonely. I was, my needs were met. It was a really incredible experience for me to see that just despite one's status in the world, whether partnered or not partnered or children or no children or whatever place one is in life, I think that's what Jackson Hall is, is it's like this complete glue that just keeps you connected. And so, you know, the coffee that we go out for, the skis that we take together, all of the walks or the bike rides or the hikes, of course, in Korean Teton National Park, the most beautiful place in the world. This is just the fabric that builds Jackson Hole. And I don't know if many communities have all that we have here. So, you know, you just keep staying because it's like where else is going to have all these pieces and parts? I, I, I think we're in parallel. And I know that's super snotty to say because there's amazing places all over the world, but this is the place that amazes me. I agree. This place has an amazing community. And I remember I grew up in a small town in Mississippi. And I remember my mom, she had hand surgery when we were kids. And here she was, I think my brother still lived at home at that time. And there were three kids and she had hand surgery and single mom. And it was amazing the food that came to the house because she couldn't cook. and mm -hmm. She wasn't working, but everybody came together to help her out during that time when she, she needed help. And mm -hmm. I think that's what small towns offer. I love it. It's very true. I, I remember, um, you know, sometimes the town can feel really small. The longer you're here, the more history you have, do you have any baggage, you know, those kinds of things. And I remember my mom, who also lives in a small town said, that's very true. But in a small town, people know what's happening with you and will take care of you. And that was exactly mm -hmm. my experience. So you know, it does feel sometimes like the walls are closing in. So pre-COVID, you know, you could pop on a plane or go somewhere and sort of get out of here. Right now, my go-to is Idaho Falls, you know, like Costco. <laughs> Yo, we got a Costco <laughs> now. I like Costco. Less than a year old. <laughs> Costco is great. Um, but it is a place where people care. They genuinely care. That's right. So during those 30 years, what are some of the roles and hats that you've worn here in this community because you have contributed immensely to this community. Wow. Um, thank you for that compliment. I appreciate that. I, I sometimes uh, feel self-conscious with all of my changed hats and roles um, because you know I have friends who've been with organizations for 20 years. And my duration, the longest I've been at any one organization is where I work right now, the National Museum of Wildlife Art. I was here previously for two stays. I came in the 90s after working in the ski industry for six years. I came over to the museum as our first marketing director, and I did that for six years. Then I left to help open Four Seasons and was their PR director. And that was a lot of fun. And the first big project, other than opening the hotel, was the library party that everyone is uh, just amazingly going to every year. And it was very different when we did it back then, but that was sort of to celebrate the hotel opening. And then I came back to the museum as the development director 
And that was great. I was here for another eight years. And then I left again. The Center for the Arts was seeking someone to kind of set up their fundraising program. So I went there and then I left there and I went over to the Park Foundation. And that was a great experience because I love the park so much. And then the museum called me back and they said, you know, we have this new position that we've never offered before. It's a new layer of oversight of all these departments that advance the museum in terms of its contribution and audience development. And that's when they called me and they said, would you consider this? And um, so I considered it and I returned. So that's the round robin that you see with me coming back to the museum. And when I clicked my heels and went home, if you will, I do feel so completely um, at home here with these amazing artworks that I've known for all these years and the new artworks that have been acquired. And I think at heart, you know, when I think of the, the ski industry and the hotel and restaurant industry, every single position I've ever had, I've learned a great deal. It's like um, my kids, they both have jobs. One's in college, one's in high school. They've had multiple jobs. And every job, whether it's been an up or down experience, I've said, you will learn something from every single job and you'll take it to the next job. And that's how I feel about where I am now. I'm just so overjoyed to be back at the museum. It does feel very much like where I completely belong. Beautiful. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're there. It, honestly, it took me years before I visited the National Museum of Wildlife Art. And now that I have two little kids, my wife and I love taking our kids there. It's one of the great things to do any time in the year. But when you have really little kids, sometimes you're not out, you just can't be outside with them when it's super cold. So the, the free Sundays and getting to be able to walk around, there's a place for kids to play. It was, it's awesome. I'm so glad to hear you say that, Stefan, because it's so true. I remember when my kids were little, and you were looking for that one hour to get after lunch and before nap time and you're just climbing the walls as a parent, what do we do? Let's go to the museum. You go to the kids gallery, you walk around. My kids literally learn to walk in these galleries and you know, just keeping it on the QT to the curators. They never stumbled into any artworks. So we we're always really <laughs> careful. <laughs> but we go into that kids, you know, and they draw a few pictures and sometimes we get lunch in the cafe and Oh, it just saved us so many times. And I see that with parents. And, you know, what's neat, too, is, is generationally, there are there's sort of something here for everyone. And like right now, we have in one of our galleries, a high school, well, actually, it's K-12, all of the art students throughout the community, throughout Teton County. And it's all the, and there's a thematic tie that's been coordinated over the year by the local art teachers. And it's so inspiring. So what'll happen is your kids will get to that stage and then you'll come out and you'll see their artworks and then they'll come back for, you know, in college and you'll take them to lunch, you know, it's, you know, or they're on the way to the airport, let's grab lunch before you get on that flight. And so it just kind of serves wherever you are in life. And these days, you know, I, I like to bike a lot. So I, I ride my bike and before I came back to the museum, I'd ride up and sit on the sculpture trail, enjoy the view. We have yoga on the trail in the summer. So for people who like to recreate outside, it's just kind of wherever you are in life, you can kind of plug in, in that stage of life. So, but I do think that it's very true for a lot of people. They come to Jackson Hole and they're super outdoorsy and then they settle and they have their kids and then they start coming to the museum. So I'm glad to hear that was true for you as well. Now you mentioned yoga and during your such packed active life, raising kids, working, you found time to become a, a yoga instructor as well. 
I know, you know, that's the thing. See, I have this brain that just is like goes 300 miles an hour. And this was observed when I was a teenager. And so when I went to Boston and started going to all those colleges that I went to, I got connected with a meditation institute there and I learned to meditate. And part of meditation is, you know, yoga is very integrally involved. So I got a yoga practice and I found uh, some serenity and some peace for this active brain that just wouldn't stop and it would just spin, you know? So yoga has been something that I've been doing since I was in my early twenties. I'm the least of all awesome practitioners, meaning that I was built for tennis. I was built for swimming. I was built for water polo. I wasn't built for gymnastic-y, super elastic-y kind of yoga practice. So yoga has always been a big challenge for me. And so it was, as a matter of fact, I was on the board of the chamber and I go to yoga like a couple times a week and occasionally a workshop for the weekend. And I loved it. And it really was helping me navigate a busy career, being a wife, a, a mother, a career at the time. You know, I've always had the jobs going. And um, it just kept me physically fit and mentally fit. So at one point, um, my, one of my most wonderful yoga mentors is Nisha Zollinger, who owns Akasha Yoga. And I said, you know, I know this is ridiculous, but I'm actually thinking of becoming a yoga instructor and don't laugh too loud because I can't do all those fancy poses. And I think I saved the email. Uh, I emailed Nisha. I was too scared to talk with her. And of course, she's the most gentle of all souls. And she wrote me back and she said, you know, you you might be a great yoga teacher because 95% of the world can't do those poses either. And they can relate to you versus the people from Cirque du Soleil. So that was my path. And so I went on this 10-year path of getting certified. And when you get certified, you know, fairly holistically, you learn about, you know, the Sanskrit and you learn about the, the Hindu background and the philosophy and the poses. And it's a great course of study. So I do enjoy that practice. I haven't taught in the past year because of COVID and also taking on this position and just needing to really make sure that my priorities are in order. Um, I can't wait to get back to a yoga studio. I do yoga at home. It's not anything like yoga in a studio. Occasionally I Zoom a class, but mostly I just practice on my own. But I miss the community of the other yogis and I miss being taught and being observed like, yeah, you need to move your hand this way or, you know, it looks like that's too hard for you or whatever. Um, All of that's just missing. It's an interesting year for so many perspectives, but for my yoga practice, I think the yoga practice has been more one of a mental state, acceptance, trying to be more quiet, not needing as much stimulation, uh, just because it's not to be had. It's just a very quiet time in our culture and in our society right now. That's been where I've been mostly practicing my yoga versus doing, you know, backbends, which I'm terrible at anyway. And now I'm really terrible at because I can't hardly, hardly practice them right now. Thank you for, for that, uh, that detail and, and sharing that personal ex- experience, especially from how you started with meditation at such an, a young age as well. And I want to hear more about how you started with meditation and how that helped you. But we're going to have a quick word from one of our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. 
Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling would like to remind you to bring your reusable bags when you go shopping for groceries or shopping at your favorite in-store town location. Reusable bags are good for the environment and your wallet. Wash your bags frequently and bag your own items when possible. We've already helped remove millions of single-use plastic bags from the waste stream. Now, let's reduce the amount of paper bags purchased. Food waste composting, in addition to yard waste composting, is available at the Trash Transfer Station facilities. Call 733-7678 for up-to-date hours of operation. Pontier, welcome back. Before the break, you had just talked about yoga. You are a certified instructor. You say that you are a person who is challenged by yoga in the sense that some of those moves you just can't do, but you bring it to the real down to reality that, Hey, a lot of people can't do that. Somebody here in town um, said you'd be great at it because not everybody can do some of those wild moves that you might think, um, which might intimidate some people from getting into it. But, but you started with talking about meditation. You have a busy mind and I can certainly relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I'm very curious as to what, type of meditation did you begin practicing and what have you practiced other types of meditation and how has that helped you throughout life to this point well i'm so glad you're interested in meditation it's been a lifelong journey and it has changed for me over the years my initial introduction to it was through transcendental meditation tm and that was i think let's see My later teens, my family was totally imploding. We weren't doing well. We were suffering from some great losses. And so I was seeing a therapist and, you know, there I am with my brain just super fast. And she said, have you ever considered meditation? So she introduced me to TM and I think I was supposed to do it twice a day for 15 minutes. And I usually could manage once a day for like five, Mm. but that definitely opened a crack in the door, which was this meditation thing that I'd heard about. And then I moved to Boston, and as I made my way through all of my colleges, I got connected with this meditation institute that was in Cambridge, Mass. It it had like a Sunday morning class where you could go and learn about meditation, and then it had actual meditation practices throughout the week where you'd go and you would sit for, you know, upwards to an hour, and it would be led by a teacher, so you weren't just sitting there. And um, so I started doing that and I I was affiliated with this institute for like eight years. And then I moved to Jackson Hole. And I I must say that meditation for me is never easy. I I have a very hard time with that. I have to really, I look at the clock all the time. I'm, I'm super kinetic about it. So those are probably those eight years, my best years of deep meditation. I think that they must have served to, because it was pretty much most of my 20s, served to um, reorient the neural paths in my brain. There's there's so much empirical evidence that shows that meditation really does affect the brainwave activity. So I'm grateful for that because I think that honestly, it's in that landscape of contemplation and, and staying still that the decision to make to move to Jackson Hole was born because I was giving myself a little bit of a moment to not be in reaction mode and to be more in consideration mode. And there was that that brief moment it was like, wait a second, 
I don't care at all about this money management firm, but I seem to be super excited about Wachusett Mountain. And uh, I started to listen to that. And I, I think the meditation practice for that. So then when I moved to Jackson Hole, I went on a little bit of a a journey. I think I was, there was a satsang, a, a, a Buddhist group that met, and I would go occasionally to that. And uh, I think once there were a few hiking, walking meditation practices that I did. And then I just started getting to yoga. Margot Snowden had started the yoga studio over on Hanson that Misha eventually purchased from her. And I just started going to yoga and it was sort of the perfect thing for me because it had movement and the breathing practice, which is like a moving meditation. And that is something that I've been able to stick to all these years. The sitting meditation, as I said, is invaluable, really challenging for me such that I won't do it, but I will do the yoga. And then the last few years, I realized that I needed to, to rev up my Med, med, just straight meditation practice a little bit. So what I do now is I get up early, you know, I putter around, I feed the dog into the dishwasher, I heat up some water and um, I sit down on my couch and I just sit there. Uh, there's no, I don't have a special pillow. There's no special mantra. There's no special practice. It's just nothing. And that's been really good for me uh, because I, I have to stop. So I do that for, you know, 10 minutes. I sit there, I don't watch the clock. There's no goal. It, the goal is to do nothing. Then after that, I, I tend to pick up maybe something I'm reading, um, a spiritual text. As I said, I'm a, I'm a member of Presbyterian Church of Jackson Hole. It might be a biblical text that I'm, I'm learning about. I'm, I'm very novice on the Bible. So I find that interesting to kind of read something. And so I might do that for 10 or 20 minutes. And that's essentially my daily practice um, of meditation. Fabulous. Um, thank you. Thank you. I know I should meditate. <laughs> right. committing to that time for the practice each day mm -hmm. and I know it can help me a lot and you're inspiring me to find that time and stick with it because I can hear from you how it can help I think too I, I'm so glad to hear that that's something that you think about and I think one of the things that can be overwhelming about meditation is I think people feel like I have to sit on a special pillow with my knees crossed that start to ache for 30 minutes and do deep breathing. You can start with five minutes and just sit down and take five breaths. That's meditation. Mm -hmm. It can be very, very simple and it doesn't have to start over in an overwhelming fashion. It, it, anything is a benefit. It really is. So, um, it, it, you know, it's so hard, you know, you have your business and you have your podcasting and you have your kids and your marriage and your friends. It's hard. Where do I find that time? And it is hard to find that time. It's, it's time well spent, but it is, it is a challenge. I think particularly with young children, because they're so, their needs are so immediate. I mean, once my kids became teenagers, they, they essentially came home and went to their room. So I also have all this free time because they didn't want me to cook for them, do their laundry. It was like, whoa, it, you know, it's kind of alarming. But on the other hand, I had, I had time to meditate again. So that was the upside. And could you share a little bit about what exactly is transcendental? Did I pronounce that properly? Yeah, transcendental meditation. What, ex what type or form or style, how would you describe that of meditation? You know, gosh, I'm, I'm so not an expert. It's just something I was introduced as a teenager from that therapist. Mm -hmm. As I recall, it was somewhat structured in a good way. I, don't, I think it was very accessible for people. I seem to remember maybe I had a word or I counted, um, but I think that the words themselves, the transcendental 
you know, meditation, it transforms you mm. to meditate again on that, that empirical level, when they look at brainwaves, you know, that, that activity, and they look at what happens to people's nervous systems from meditation, um, it is quite um, convincing. And mm -hmm. so I think that was from the spirit, but I think wasn't TM came out of maybe Harvard or Timothy Leary or one of those people. I mean, I, I should Google it right now, but I'm not going to, I don't want you to hear my clicking of my keys, but I, I can't tell you the meditation that was practiced at the Institute, which I would probably more be affiliated with today or what I adhere to is based on the Kundalini yoga systems, which is, you know, Hindu, Hindu, you know, Hindu practices of breathing practices, which in yoga are called pranayama, which are different breathing techniques to evoke or emit certain results, you know, to calm the mind or to wake up the mind or to, to deal with depression or those kinds of techniques. And that's what I'm more familiar with. And that's actually what I studied when I was saying to be a yoga teacher, because yoga is a Hindu practice by its roots. And those ancient philosophies are studied. So it was, that's another one where I felt like I clicked my heels and came home because I moved all the way to Jackson Hole from this meditation institute in Boston where I was introduced to these concepts. And then I pull open my manual in my, in my study for my yoga practice. And there's all those truths again, talked about. So, or the philosophies. And so that's more what I know. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I appreciate you the, offering the details that, that you know. And, and I'd like to shift gears a little bit as well, because in your interview questionnaire, you mentioned that you're, you, and you've said this before, that you're a member of the Presbyterian Church of Jackson Hole, and you mentioned on your interview sheet that you're a deacon there. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm curious, you don't hear about many people moving to Jackson because of religion. Like some people move to certain areas of the country because of religion. There might be a certain church, or synagogue or mosque or whatever um, their choice of religion is. Now, when you moved here originally, were you involved in the church and, and how has that progressed over time? And what does it mean to you to be a deacon of the church? Wow. What a great question. So my grandfather on my mom's side was a Presbyterian minister. Okay. And um, his work was more in the community. And so I grew up watching my grandfather um, work on suicide prevention and uh, food scarcity and issues that, that are very community-based. And as a pastor, he, in his early career, ran churches, but in his later career, he was more involved in these community organizations. And so that was that's what I watched. And that's where I saw the power of what he could do. And, but my parents didn't go to church. My mother was a Presbyterian. She didn't want to go to church. She is part of that generation where they left the church. My father was Baptist. He felt the same. So when I was growing up, I had some friends whose parents still went to church. And I had one friend who went to a Unitarian church and another one went to an Episcopal church and another one went to a Baptist. So I go with them. And to me, I felt there was a connection there that I, in my family, again, as I said, we suffered some hard losses and it split us up quite a bit and we're all repaired today, thank goodness. And I'm grateful for that. But at the time we did not have much glue. And what I noticed with my friends who went to church and Sunday school and they went as a family, there seemed to be more glue that I was craving. So I moved to Jackson Hole. I met my husband. We had children. And actually, I th we just had one at the time. She was two. It was 2001. 2000, yeah, September 11th happened. 
And that was so shocking to me that I just felt I needed to go to a place of worship to contemplate what had just happened and what was, you know, we know this, what happened so many years later at the time, you know, we didn't know bridges were going to blow up or it was just a very uncertain, scary time. So I wanted to go to church. And the only thing I really knew about was, well, my grandfather was a Presbyterian minister. I really didn't know what that meant other than that's what was our lineage. You know, we're Scottish and whatever. So I went to the Presbyterian Church of Jackson Hole and Paul Hayden was the pastor at the time. And Paul was just a wonderful, compassionate person. And I found compassionate parishioners. I felt attracted to the facility, to the congregation. And as I said, I didn't know really anything about the Bible. So I was just learning and I felt a comfort and I felt like this place would take care of me in a time of need and would help nurture my children. It just felt like home. So I've been going ever since. What's that? 20 years now I've been going. And these days it's so capably run by Ben Pascal and Tammy Letts and, or Tammy Mitchell. So that experience four years ago with my leg, I had once, um, was asked to sort of talk about it at church when we were, they were talking about the, the role of a deacon. So I got up and told my stories like four years ago, and it was a very powerful experience for me. And so just recently I was asked to be a deacon and I was so honored to be asked because I want to uh, return the favor, if you will, and be of use um, to people in need and to help celebrate people who are celebrating. And um, so that's kind of how that came about. It's really become a very powerful relationship for me in my life. And years ago, I think it was 10, a dear friend, uh, they lost their son to a terrible accident. Mm. And the Presbyterian Church, Stuart, you know, held the memorial and, and held the family. And I remember thinking, look what this church has done for this family. Like you're not alone in, in I think in Jackson Hole, um, because we all do come from somewhere else. Most of us are not near our families, even if we're very close to them emotionally. Uh, the church, and, and this is true for, I think, all of the local churches here. We have really good churches and good pastors and good leadership. It just offers that home that we might be craving. Yeah, so so true. Uh, and thank you for sharing that personal moment from your history and, and up to this point in life. And thank you to for you for serving your, your church community, but it also serves the community at large as well for, for what you do, because we are all connected. Indeed, we're certainly all connected. And, and I love how you can, you keep using the, the term, it's the glue that that binds us all together. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it takes so much to keep us all together. But there's that commonality, even if there's so much that we can disagree on, but there's so much more we can agree, agree about and, and come together and, and peace and harmony. <laughs> I so agree with that. Mm -hmm. This year more than ever. Yes, yes, this year more than ever. Has the church been able to meet in person during you the know, pandemic? Been, um, at times, yeah, this summer for sure. You know, the doors could be open and social distancing and such. And then when we went into those hard winter, you know, and the, the COVID really started spiking, it went to online. It started off in line and then went online. So it's been up and down. I'm, I'm grateful to report that this Sunday we have in person worship again. This Sunday, it, uh, the podcast is dated. It's uh, what, what would Sunday be? I don't know. Mid, mid February. 21st or 22nd of February, somewhere around there. Thank you. Right around then. And, and fingers crossed, hopeful that it can remain in person. 
but uh, again, you know, like all the pastors and everyone, all, everybody trying to engage using these Zoom platforms and go to meeting. I think we're on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. and uh, just so that people can stay connected and hear, you know, uh, inspiring words and and support. Everybody's doing it and doing a good job of it from what I can tell, but there's just nothing like being in person. It's a very different experience. Nothing replaces that (laughs) being in person and the personal contact and just being near somebody it makes mm-hmm. it has a good feeling to it mm-hmm. a very special feeling to it mm-hmm. and we we all crave to be around more people again yes for yep. sure even out here we can get together outside <laughs> so true i mean it's so true and the museum has been mostly open and people are so grateful to have an indoor space to go mm-hmm. to because you can go outside for just so long and then it gets cold. Or if you have little people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they can only stay outside for so long. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're planning our summer here. And, of course, we have parallel contingency plans for everything that we're doing. But we have every finger and toe crossed and eyes crossed so that we can gather in person again and, and have some of our wonderful events. And, you know, we just we miss each other. We miss our people. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, Pontier, would you like to share with everybody listening in today some final words of wisdom that have carried you uh, before we uh, wrap up today? Oh, that's a tall order. Gosh, I think probably what has helped me over the years is I, I get up and I keep trying. I have failed utterly numbers of times, and uh, that has certainly Uh, softened my heart and made me a lot more compassionate and willing to see the other side of things. So I suppose that would be my advice is, you know, when you're, when it's, when it's a downtime, you reach out and just try, keep trying because it it will, it'll be the, the, the flow will start to happen again. um, Despite all appearances. So true Pontier. And I, I appreciate your insight. And, and your wor- words of wisdom. This has been fabulous. I appreciate your time of having a chat with me today. It is so great to see you. I can't wait to take you to coffee in person. And I'll listen to these podcasts more. I did jump on a few and it was kind of fun because I was like, oh my gosh, I love that person. Let me hear more about them. And gosh, pearls, I, it's stuff I never knew. So well done, Stefan, for just getting this together. I think it's fabulous. You're, you're very welcome, Pontier. And now people in the community know you a little bit better and people around the world know you a little bit better and they can come find you at the National Museum of Wildlife Art. You're a person who's special to this community and I appreciate you sharing your, your life with our community and I appreciate you sharing your time today. Thank you. I am very privileged to be on this podcast. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Pontier. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. To learn more about Pontier, please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 130. Thank you, everybody who keeps the Jackson Hole Connection on the air. My wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William, my editor and marketing director, Michael Morey, and everybody at the liquor store who supports me each week. Thank you, everybody. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.